Hey, creep. I want to tell you a tale, if you're ready to hear it. It may not be pleasant. It may not end the way you want it to. But this story is gripping and as fascinating as it is shockingly horrifying. Are you ready? My name's Cole, and you're listening to Tales. You say hi to my parents and walk down into the basement. You're struck by a wall of cologne and incense, sprayed wantonly around the room to disguise the smell of neglected laundry and the must of the mismatched second-hand furniture. There are posters stuck to the wood panel walls with multicolored thumbtacks and you flop into the seat beside me, letting out a long exhale. This, to us, has become ritual. The ritualistic proceedings of a never-ending and underwhelming summer. You didn't know what to do after high school and neither did I. You decided college wasn't for you and I dropped out a semester in. And since then, we've both been lost, trying to come to some sort of conclusion, some goal with which to fill our lives with purpose. It was easy to plan our days, weeks, and months when we were back in high school. Our teachers, parents, and coaches dictated our schedule. Breakfast, school, after-school training sessions, extracurricular activities, homework, TV, staying up too late, go to sleep. Wash, rinse, repeat. Without your routine, you feel unsettled, uncomfortable, and anxious. This is, simply put, too much time to think about all the things you need to think about. You turn to me and say, We need to get out of here. We need to travel and see the world. I hate this place. And I think it's a great idea, but I remind you we need to save money first. You work at the grocery store, mind-numbingly stocking shelves, and I work as a cook at a neighborhood pub. Not exactly glorious jobs that allow financial freedom. But if we are shrewd and single-minded, in three months we could possibly go to Europe for two weeks. You excitingly start planning, sitting beside me in my basement with the mismatched, musty furniture and the wood-paneled walls. You tell me all the things you want to see and do. You start outlining the places you want to go and the order in which you want to see them. The clock is ticking by. The sun sets. My parents call down to offer us dinner, but we don't hear them. There is paper from a legal pad that was laying around unused for months, strewn across my old ratty coffee table with lists of everything we talked about. It's now well past midnight and we sit together satisfied, feeling as if we are no longer aimlessly wandering around in a pitch black room with our hands stretched out in front of us. You and I, we finally feel like we have a plan. Some way to move forward. We haven't spoken in a few minutes and my eyes get heavy. They weigh my face down and my head starts to lilt. Just as our night together figuring out our lives comes to an end. Just as I'm about to shut the book on the day. You stand up, knocking over the cups on the edge of the table. This isn't right, you exclaim. I look at you, confused. 
Why are we planning everything? You continue. Let's just go and have a proper adventure. Let the world do with us as it will. Reaching down, you crumple up hours of work. You ball them up and in a fit of excitement, you throw them in the corner of the room. That's it then, we agree. We will save up money to go on an adventure. No planning, no touristy destinations, no tours or overbaked consumer experiences. We are just going to experience the world. Weeks pass and we're both single-minded. We have a goal and despite what our parents and siblings thought, we were never lazy. We just didn't want to work towards something that wouldn't make us happy. But now we have a finish line. You pick up jobs around your neighborhood, doing odds and ends, becoming a bit of a handyman. Last Tuesday, you fixed the gutters for Mr. Sanderson, the elderly gentleman across the street. Yesterday, you took your neighbor's dog for a walk, and tomorrow you're going to paint the doors on the local elementary school a fresh, breezy blue. You're leaving this town, you're leaving home, you're going to get out. That is all that matters to you. That's all you want. It's infected every pore of your body, and the compulsion to adventure fills you with an overwhelming anxious excitement. Soon, you tell yourself, but it can't come soon enough. Sound familiar? Everyone reaches a point in their life where their surroundings become stale, when everything loses its mystery and mystique. It's something we all fantasize whether or not life gets in the way. I think we all have that urge to search out new lands and solve new mysteries and have exotic experiences. It's a shared daydream. And for Joshua Maddox, that was his dream to get out and see the world. But unfortunately, the world had a different idea of what should become of the young man. Joshua Maddox was an 18-year-old living in Woodland Park, Colorado, a picturesque small town of 7,500 people, cradled by the natural beauty of the Colorado Rockies and the Pike National Forest. Well-liked and popular, Joshua was a creative 18-year-old spending his time playing guitar and writing. He stood six feet tall with long hair and a carefree attitude that meshed well with everyone he met. He was the son of a proud mother and father, and a little brother to two sisters who adored him, Kate and Ruth. But it was on May 8th, 2008, when Joshua just disappeared. It was on that day, May 8th, that Joshua told his sister Kate that he'd be stepping out of the house to go for a walk. She didn't think twice because Joshua often went for solitary walks, taking in the beauty and the serenity of nature which he loved so much. In fact, it wasn't even uncommon at all for Joshua to go as far as to hike by himself. But as the day went on, and then slipped into night, the Maddox family began to get worried. Then Josh didn't return at all. The next day came and Joshua still hadn't returned. The small sensation of anxiety his family felt turned into crystallized worry. But they thought that's just Joshua. He'd always been free-spirited and loved to roam. 
Perhaps he had just forgotten to mention how far he'd be roaming this time. But then another day passed. And another. Mike Maddox, Joshua's father, was taking the disappearance more seriously than his sisters, and finally five days later, on May 13, 2008, the Maddox family reported Joshua missing. Investigators started their search, looking anywhere and everywhere they could in small Woodland, Colorado. They knocked on doors, they looked in trash bins, they searched his school and called his friends. No one had seen or heard from Joshua since the day he had gone missing. No one could even begin to help piece together some sort of timeline from police to work from. Then they started to search the wide and sprawling woods of Pike National Forest. Still, no trace of Joshua was left behind. In a world as big and sprawling as ours, my creepy friend, Perhaps there are cracks, where if you weren't looking where you were walking, you might just slip through. Maybe these cracks look like half-open doors, or tiny, worn paths through bramble bushes that line the back of schoolyards and dog parks. Or perhaps they are ethereal, no visual warning that the void is only a step away. Perhaps these cracks in our world exist between the houses that line suburban roads, like rivets that hold together an old trunk of secrets. And maybe that's where Joshua had ended up, swimming through the viscous whispers stuck inside a trunk, swimming to the keyhole to scream for help, or perhaps slip back through to show up on his doorstep, unaware of the time that had passed, no memory of what had happened. As search and rescue continued to pick through the parks, and as investigators poured over the thin details surrounding the final hours that anyone could account for Joshua's whereabouts, the hope of finding Joshua alive started to slip through the grasping and desperate hands of his family, stretched out in front of them, clutching at the memory of the lively young man. Kate wrote online, Since Josh was 18, it has been reasonable to assume he may have decided to leave town, to start a new life. As one of his two older sisters, I have always chosen to believe this was the case. I have expected Josh to return home to his father's house at any time with a wife and small children, so that they could meet their grandparents and their aunts. To you and I this may seem ludicrous, that a loved family member one day steps out the front door and never returns, that this would be the possible conclusion you'd come to. But we can't be sure how we would rationalize it, and all we truly know of Joshua is what the news reports and the accounts of this story tell us. Joshua's family also never had any reason to have concern about Josh. He never got in trouble, and there were never any signs of mental health issues. The only trauma Josh had truly suffered was the divorce of his parents and the suicide of his brother two years prior, an event that Joshua's father said pushed him over the edge. Despite this tragic loss in Josh's life, though, he was doing well and was a happy person. Maybe this was all the resolution to the trauma of losing his brother. The clear conviction that life is short and temporal and that it was his responsibility to make the most of his life while he could. 
maybe that's why, hoping against all likelihood that he hadn't just embarked on his own grand adventure, that his family chose to believe he'd one day step back onto their doorsteps and greet them with an infectious smile and stories of his life. Eventually, though, the family moved. Mike Maddox kept the home just in case his son ever returned to the only place he'd know to, just in case one day he could reunite with his son. The missing persons file related to Joshua Maddox remained open, but with no tips, no news, no clues or evidence that something foul had been committed. The search waned and died. People returned to their normal Woodland Park routines, and the ticking in their minds faded as everyone slowly stopped staring at the hands of the clock, waiting for the moment Joshua might return. Seven years passed since the disappearance of Joshua. Mike Maddox searched homeless shelters in Colorado Springs, scoured campgrounds in the Pike National Forest, and scanned strangers' faces on the streets, but to no avail. It wasn't until Chuck Murphy began to tear down an old cabin he owned half-abandoned that any clues would come to light as to what had become of Joshua Maddox. The cabin sat less than a mile from where Josh's home was, shrouded in a blanket of trees and nestled atop a bed of fallen pine needles. The cabin had been unoccupied for ten years, its floorboards and walls rotting in their state of disrepair and neglect. Chuck Murphy's brother had lived in the cabin as recently as 2005, but after he moved out, the cabin became a derelict storage facility, one which Chuck never visited on the large patch of land that he owned. On August 7, 2015, Chuck Murphy entered his cabin to a gut-wrenching stench that permeated the entirety of the small cabin. Animals had been an issue in the past, and perhaps it was the body of a raccoon or rodent fecal matter beneath the floors that caused his eyes to water and his nose to scrunch. Chuck began to dismantle the fireplace, and upon reaching the interior and the flue, he found the body of Joshua Maddox, crumpled up like a piece of paper. Tossed aside, Joshua was cramped up and contorted into a fetal position, like he had come down the chimney headfirst feet above him and gotten stuck, naked except for a thin thermal shirt. Chuck quickly called the police who shortly arrived with the county coroner, who using dental records confirmed the corpse was that of Joshua. Investigators had searched the forest, they had searched all around Woodland Park, they had ripped apart the neighborhood where the Maddox lived, and they had not found Joshua. That is until Chuck Murphy, less than a mile away decided to demolish his abandoned cabin. This entire time, Josh was less than a mile from his home, within a few minutes walking distance of his worried family. The resolution to their turmoil, and the worst imaginable horror within arm's reach. How had this happened? Although Joshua was wafer thin at a featherweight of 150 pounds, he was six feet tall, how is it possible he could have ended up in a tight, cramped chimney in the woods? Learning the truth of what had become of his son was painful for Mike Maddox and his family. And often the truth is painful. There was also pain, I'd imagine, in the scenario the family chose to believe. That Joshua had left home to embark on a new life. That Joshua would just leave his family like that. 
But there was also comfort in the idea that he was happy. He was living the way he wanted to. But this, this outcome that in hindsight seemed inevitable, that something terrible had befallen him, brought with it a heart-stopping, all-encompassing grief that no one can begin to imagine if they have not experienced a tragedy such as this themselves. And from me to you, Creep, I hope neither of us do. Al Bourne, the county coroner, performed an autopsy, but found little to help the rest of the truth hidden still in the hours leading up to Joshua's death. There were no drugs in Josh's system. There was no evidence of trauma. No broken bones, no bullet holes, no knife marks. Was there even a crime at all? Or was this purely a weird circumstance? Like a tree fallen in the forest with no one around to hear it, but stumbled upon, half sunken in solid ground in some obscure way, not examined closely to find the anomaly, but looked at as a novel oddity, an unremarkable moment in your day. Except this young sapling of a man, fallen with no one around to hear his cries for help, was being examined, and the lack of answers left more questions than answers. Investigators later said, It was not an instant death. How he died is only a matter of speculation, but we know he did not starve to death because that takes many weeks. So then you go down the chain and you have dehydration, which can take a few days. And the other thing would be by hypothermia, which could take a day or two. We have no evidence to say which one came first. On September 28, 2015, Al Bourne, the county coroner, made the hard decision after finding no rational or obvious cause, ruled the death accidental. The coroner then supposed that perhaps Josh had climbed down the chimney and gotten stuck. From what he could see, the most likely cause of death had been hypothermia, with the lowest temperatures at that time of year being minus 6 Celsius. But that doesn't make any sense, does it? The cabin, which rested on Meadow Lark Lane, just two blocks from the Maddox family home, which had been overlooked in their search, was now a stain on the owner Chuck Murphy's life. And much like the family, he felt that the conclusion reached by the coroner made little to no sense. Immediately following the ruling made by the coroner, Chuck got to work questioning the likelihood of the vague version of events. The coroner had stated that the position Josh had been found in seemed to be a voluntary action. But if that was the case, and Josh had entered from the top of the chimney trying to access the inside of the cabin, how had Joshua bypassed the rebar grate and wire meshing, which was still intact? This wasn't the only piece of information that came to light during the passive-aggressive back and forth between Chuck and the coroner. A large wooden breakfast bar had been torn from the wall inside the cabin and used to block the chimney from the inside. Too heavy to be carried or tumble magically over to the opening some distance away, it would have had to have been dragged. But the most bone-chilling detail, the piece of information that unsettled everyone the most, was the neatly folded and stacked pile of Joshua's clothing inside the cabin, placed with deliberate care. Perhaps a stretch of logic, incompetence on part of the coroner, or a moment of throwing his hands in the air and exclaiming it must be the conclusion, because as little sense as it made was the only situation his mind could muster. 
The coroner remarked, saying how weird it was that Joshua first removed his clothes and then left the safety of the shelter to climb on the roof and try to regain entry through the chimney. But perhaps that was just the effects of paradoxical unclothing, a bizarre circumstance in which someone suffering hypothermia mysteriously undresses. Despite the insistence by coroners, Chuck would not be swayed. There was just no chance that Joshua had magically bypassed the gate and mesh put in place to keep animals from crawling down into the cabin. This must have been murder. And in fact, the police had a suspect, which remained unnamed. This lead was from someone who came forward and explained Josh was hanging around a rough friend of his from high school at the time of his disappearance, who went around bragging that he, quote-unquote, put Josh in a hole. Investigators and the coroner, however, couldn't place this individual at the crime scene, and the dates and times of the lead were inconsistent. And according to the coroner, it also would have been impossible for just one individual to place Josh in the chimney alone. So with that, the record officially closes on Joshua Maddox. His death, a list of contradicting evidence and events. The hours between having left his home and his demise, a muddled and confusing mess. And one with an unsatisfying conclusion, with no sense of justice. Just accidental death. But that isn't where the story ends. In 2015, a post was made to Reddit, and it reads... I went to high school with this skinny, dorky hippie named Andy, who played guitar in a band. I was never good friends with him or anything, but a year or so after I graduated, one of my good friends, Josh, started hanging out with him, and then went missing. Last I heard, Andy was telling another friend, yeah, me and Josh had been spending a lot of time together. We were planning a trip to New Mexico. This Andy, known as Andrew Newman, eventually traveled to New Mexico after the disappearance of Joshua Maddox. It was in New Mexico where Andrew Newman stabbed a man to death. It was after news had reached Josh's old friends and classmates in Woodland, Colorado of this murder that his friends went to investigators with the information. Andrew Newman was the unnamed suspect. Andrew allegedly continued to confess to the murder of a woman in Taos, New Mexico, stuffing her body in a barrel. Although police did find a woman's body in a barrel in Taos, they had already convicted another individual of the crime and dismissed this. And here we are. The story of the boy in the chimney has no finite conclusion. There is no painful truth that has or possibly will be uncovered. There is no poetic justice to dispense. And while I, thanks to the help of an anonymous Reddit user, have tried to shed light on what could have become of Joshua, there is no proof that can give you or I that sense of closure that we crave. Our creepy, true crime-loving minds want to solve the mystery so badly that perhaps we are just seeing the deviousness in the mystery. There could very easily be no crime at all. But apart from the theory that Andrew Newman had murdered Joshua and shoved him into a chimney, there is nothing else that quite makes sense, or rings true, but that might just be the way fate had intended. Perhaps 
Joshua had just slipped through the cracks in the world, finding not a temporary void of physicality in a trunk of secrets, but the end to his short and tragic life. So, Creep, that brings us to the end of our tale. If you enjoyed today's story, please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. They are so incredibly important in increasing the audience and getting these stories out. And more importantly, every single five-star review gets me one step closer to getting out of my mother's basement. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, all at Tales by Cole. This episode was written and narrated by myself, Cole Weavers, in production and editing by Matt Black. And remember, creeps, take care of one another, stay safe, and don't forget to lock the door.